So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every... against redheads. So because yeah, because you are one right. yeah combustion yeah we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't know how about you all? I'm joking. I use V. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. But uh, my house is actually starting to look much less like a construction zone and much more like an actual livable home. I have I have baseboards in a couple of rooms. Like like they actually look like humans live in them. It's it's quite a thing. The rooms that is not the baseboards, but you get what I mean. So um, that's that's the biggest thing I've got going on. Oh, and I I fired up my lawnmower for the first time last weekend. Uh, which I was a little worried about because if you let them sit too long, all the all the gasoline in the tank, you know, goes bad. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure how long this had been sitting before I got it. I inherited this lawnmower, um, and so I was afraid I was going to spend you know two hours just like completely cranking my shoulder out. And yeah, no, but I got it started after only about fifteen minutes of cranking my shoulder out and uh, started mowing my lawn and. Uh, yeah, lawn care is gonna suck, but uh, it's but it's worth it. So that's that's me and what I got going on. Who the hell are you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California, uh, and uh, yeah, I have a a battery powered lawnmower. You just plug in the battery overnight, and then you just insert said battery into uh, the lawnmower, and you go. Which is nice because I have solar panels, so it's just. Free energy uh, from the you sun. Fucking ecotopian. Yep. Uh, All right. So mostly because I didn't want to have to keep buying gas. Like it's a laziness thing. 
that makes sense. You know yeah. what? And and I'm I totally get that. Yeah, and that like, saves my shoulder for uh, cranking something else out for <laughs> fifteen minutes, uh, trying to get it to start. Yeah. yeah. Wait. Start? Huh? Yep. Anyway, okay. So takes you all night. What you used to do all night. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's why I'm so it's nice to see that you bought the Dorothea Puente house. Um, yeah. With there being people in the baseboards. Yeah. <laughs> it's got bones. Eek. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the house of course dates to 1950, which I think I've mentioned before oh, yeah, many times. Um, and, and yeah, we, we, we discovered that, uh, the people that built it, uh, I think were convinced it was going to need to double as a fallout shelter. Oh, it's because because it's just everything. everything, like the original baseboards were mm-hmm. not put in with finishing nails, they were put in with no shit carpentry nails. Oh wow! Okay, that yeah. that made like demoing anything in this house is a bitch. Well, you're Catholic so, yeah. though, so I think you would appreciate the good use the, of the nails. good good use of nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Te- tepton nails. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice, you. nicely you. done. I'm not even mad about that one. Yeah. So. Uh, all right, so uh, I have been. I've switched my curriculum for my uh, for my my drama class because yeah. I cannot uh, reliably expect anything because we keep getting variants. Right. Uh, right. Right. As a result, I can't have them up and around because social distancing, and I don't have a very high vaccination rate at my school. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 a thing. Um. But so instead, I still want to teach them drama. So I started. I, I gave them a lecture on how cameras work and how you can frame shots and what the terms are for movies and things like that. Oh. Okay. All right. And then right. I gave them basic a lecture. cinematography. Yeah. And okay. Then I gave them a lecture on genres. And okay. Right. Then right. I gave right. Yeah. Each class uh, a quiz. And the quiz was one simple question. Okay. What genre do you want to study? Okay. So went with majority opinion. Okay. And so uh, we just finished the first week of them watching a movie from a genre they chose instead of... Because the first time I showed them Buster Keaton's The General. Because I was like, let's look at emoting. Okay. Yes. And then I showed them uh, Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin because, again, let's look at posture and movement. And then the third time I was like, okay, fine. We'll get a talkie. The Great Dictator. <laughs> okay. I yeah. figured right. you now's yeah. a good time to show them an Antifa movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, and, and and then I was also talking about like, hey, with a movie you can make, make messages. And so I explained to them, um, like, look, this was 1940. What was going on in 41? And on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. class turned into that Jerry Seinfeld skit from SNL. Uh, but uh, they... <laughs> But uh, the na uh, the Nazis. The I was gonna say Nazis. I was gonna say Nazis. Yeah. But but anyway, so uh, we watched that, and and they actually had some respect for it, and then they picked their own genres, and so then I would bring a movie from home, but also I pull each kid up to the cl- front of the class and say, okay, what streaming services do you have access to, and what movie in this genre would you like? What kind of subgenre do you enjoy? And stuff like okay. That. And so I'm having them explore things. And so uh, this week was the first week of doing that. And then we took another quiz this Friday 
um, to do the same thing again. And they fill out a worksheet that analyzes the movie, looks at, uh, you know, who the main characters are, when it was done, you know, the basics, and then also okay, yeah. what's the message, what are they trying to say, Okay. what emotions are being conveyed in, it, describe a scene and what emotions are being conveyed using the following criteria. Okay, yeah, so yeah. And you basics. you, you had, had, I don't remember whether it was on Facebook or in our mm-hmm. in our chat group, but you had, you had, uh, uh, emoted a little bit yourself about, you know, the, the, the challenge we always have of like, okay, like I'm walking them all literally all the way to the river. Yes. I'm walk like all the way up to it and I'm reaching into the stream and I'm holding it up to them. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, kid a is just, mm-hmm. and, and kid a is just not getting it. Right. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're deliberately so, so drowning know, the horses. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, Still so, happens. so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, so, so I'm, 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 I'm grooving on on what you're talking about here because yes. I've heard you already like mention yes. what you've been doing, and I'm excited. So, well, and and the reason I point this out is yeah. because I think fourth quarter I will end up reducing my class to just guess the emoji. <laughs> Ah, you know, I shouldn't laugh so hard, but I know exactly why you're saying that. Yeah. Oh, and I told the kids that too. I said, I've made this even easier. I don't know how much easier I can make it unless I give you guess the emoji. I said, but frankly, I need to save something for fourth quarter. (laughs) So... See, some days I wish I was in high school so I could be that <laughs> acerbic with my own kids. Yeah, that's okay. So, they still don't get it. Yeah. Uh, but All right. anyway, so now I want to talk about something that cheers me up. In 1983, okay. yes. Rowdy Roddy Piper was contacted by Vince McMahon to come over to the WWF from the NWA's Mid-Atlantic Territory. Okay. However, Roddy in first, insisted first on finishing out his contract with Jim Crockett the one in charge of the Mid-South, right. Mid-Atlantic Territory, right, before right. jumping over to WWF. This also meant finishing up his run as a babyface. He was a babyface in Mid-Atlantic, um, which culminated with a dog collar match with Greg the Hammer Valentine at Starcade in November of 1983. Okay. This is widely considered to be the first pay-per-view. Now, this dog collar match was brutal. It was a violent match wherein both men were tied to each other by a chain yeah. connected by dog collars around their necks. Now, this okay. is one of those ones where because it is a live art and because the planning for it is often up to the moment or the day of, um, good ideas can sometimes go badly. So these dog collars had sheep's wool on the inside, which it's soft. Right. Except when you're wrestling. Oh, God, it, it abrades. You sweat into the sheep's wool and it regularly rubs against the soft tissues of your neck. Oh, God. And so the amount of pain goes up, not down. Oh, no. So that night they rubbed their necks raw and that wasn't the worst part. The chain was a weapon that each man employed. And since both guys were tough guys, they wrestle stiff oh, with a chain that's no. 15 feet long. I don't know if there's a way to use a chain without being stiff, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But Greg Valentine wrapped it around his fist and clubbed Roddy Piper in the left ear throughout the whole match. And both men choked each other with the chain. Uh, well, I mean, like you do. Yeah. Now, as a result of this match, Roddy Piper comes to the WWF in 1984 too injured to wrestle. Oh, shit. Instead, he <laughs> ends up being a manager for a couple heels. Uh, Dr. D, David Schultz who is famous for slapping the shit out of John Stossel at the end of 1984. Right. And Paul Orndorff. 
okay. uh, Mr. Wonderful. Now, yeah. in so doing, Roddy Piper was also given control over Victory Corner, which would be renamed Piper's Pit in January of 1984. Oh, okay. All right. A few weeks later, Hulk Hogan would defeat the Iron Sheik for the WWF title. So now you have a loudmouth heel who can't, therefore won't, wrestle, antagonizing... I am a real American. Now, in yeah. fairness, he was still coming out to Eye of the Tiger at that time because he had okay. been in Rocky Three, Right, right. And right. you didn't have to worry about licensing because wrestling was kind of a under the... Uh, under the course, radar. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Now, in the debut episode of Piper's Pit, Piper claimed, quote, I will not pull no punches because it's Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I mean, he, he is a, a fairly uneducated man uh, classically. Like, he dropped yeah. out of school, I think, at about 13 yeah. Um, in Saskatoon or Saskatchewan rather. Yeah. Um, and in this show, it was a way to take advantage of Roddy Piper's promo ability while he was still healing from Starcade. Uh, and this is also a way to let I, him antagonize and build up heat with various wrestlers, especially Hulk Hogan. I, I love how when you said he was still healing up, it took you a second. It took me a second yeah. to realize H E A. Yeah. Not H E E. Yeah. But yeah. while he was healing, he was healing. He was healing. Yep. Well, yeah. Uh, now this allows him to show his verbal dominance and give the fans a chance to look forward to him getting his just desserts. Um, in wrestling, they often say that you have to talk people into the building. Now, okay. By the summer, he was wrestling full time again, and almost immediately he was at the center of the rock and wrestling storyline. But he also had other feuds going on too, and the whole time he continued to use Piper's Pit to antagonize whichever wrestlers he feuded with, or just to build up. Uh, heat in their own feuds okay so he would very often like he was he was what was called a heater for other feuds so okay if you're feuding with greg valentine he would talk shit on you so you'd have to go prove yourself against greg valentine okay so he'd heat okay. up your feud and then he would you know he'd be heating up his own feud let's you and him fight right okay yeah and it worked it worked so <laughs> well now on what was arguably the most famous episode of piper's pit uh piper interviewed jimmy superfly snooka and during that episode, Piper tried to make Snooka, quote, feel at home by by bringing out bananas, coconuts, and mocking his Fijian heritage. Oh! And it was racist as fuck. Shit. Okay. After Snooka accused Piper of insulting him, Piper smashed a coconut shell over Jimmy Snooka's head. And after that, he proceeded to throw him around and shove a banana down his throat before fleeing for a back door, escaping a furious Jimmy Snooka. Which, I mean, admittedly, if you piss off Jimmy Snuka, that's probably the best thing to do. I uh -huh. don't care what a tough guy you are. Oh, you run. <laughs> yeah, you run. Now, this segment itself was taped March 28th, 1984, for airing okay. in local St. Louis markets that weekend to help build up the plans Piper Snuka series of matches in the Keel Auditorium in May. So it's a okay. Midwest tour. Okay. And the segment did not air nationally until the weekend of June 9th, 1984, after which the feud was then expanded. Okay. And that would, you'd very often do that. You try it in a local market that really appreciates wrestling. If it's getting really good reception, then you take it nationally. And okay. This is right when, when Vince McMahon is invading other territories. Yeah. Now, on Piper's Pit, he would also interview Cindy Lauper and Captain Lou Albano. An angle was made wherein Wendy Richter and the fabulous Mula, two women wrestlers, were supposed to fight to determine who was right, Captain Lou or Cindy Lauper. So they're fighting on behalf of these oh, people. Okay. Okay. Now, after the brawl to end it all, in July 1984, Captain Lou Albano and Cindy Lauper reconciled, which angered Rowdy Roddy Piper. Okay. 
Piper continued to antagonize, and at the war to settle the score in February of 1985. <laughs> so, so what we're saying here is uh-huh. the the titles of these events were were cribbed from uh from well from boxing because you know yes. oh yeah yeah okay. It's pro- okay I mean Vince McMahon's dad had started as a boxing promoter. Oh, okay. So box, boxing okay. promoting happened in these buildings anyway. Okay, yeah, right? this is true. That's a good point. Because so, yeah. you, you say both of those titles, and I immediately think of, you know, the Thriller and Thriller in Manila, uh-huh. Rumble in the Jungle, <laughs> you know. Did I ever tell you about the, the time I did comedy, and this, this gal came up to me afterward and was very flirty uh-huh. and very drunk. Yeah, well. And clearly wanted to take a redhead for a spin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I wouldn't have in any of it. Yeah. And, and uh, did I tell you about this? How I, she, I think, yeah. she talked about this ayahuasca retreat she was in. And oh, yeah. Her uncle yeah, yeah. was like a 14th generation something, something. ayahuascan shaman of some yeah, sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just, she thought she was hitting me with some real knowledge. She's like, you have to be humble in the jungle. <laughs> and I, of course, was like, well, I could get laid here really easily or I could be a smart ass. <laughs> And and you being you, you can see why I like Roddy Piper so yeah, much. Yeah. So, uh, Ernie Ladd used to say, "I'd rather fight a man than make love to a woman," and Roddy Piper would always say, "I'd rather smoke a cigarette than fight a man." <laughs> and I'd rather, I clearly would rather just make jokes about, yeah, you know, it, literally anything. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing that anybody has ever found me <laughs> worthy of meeting. But anyway, so uh, at the war to settle the score, which apparently was needed after the brawl to end it all, did not live up to its name. Uh, in February of '85, <laughs> Hulk Hogan comes to the defense of Cindy Lauper. Okay. okay, I, I, this, this was at a point where uh, Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. and and that whole crowd, yeah, were were permeating. MTV. That's exactly right. Popular culture. They were showing up on cartoons yep, on Saturday mornings. Yep. And so I have, I actually have, this is one of those places where mm-hmm. I actually have recollections mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of, of those, those interactions, those, he's those, those starting, events. He's just starting you know, to yeah. wear, wear the, uh, the yellow and red. Yeah. Hulk Hogan is like oh, prior yeah. to this, he would yeah. wear white trunks or blue trunks. Yeah. Now he's starting starting to really brand the yellow and red. Yeah. It's and and really it's it's really nascent, but it's growing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this leads to a match between Piper and Hogan that ends in disqualification. Now you can't have a match end in disqualification. Well, but you have to have the match end in disqualification because right. we can't let this end who, now. Who wants to settle the score <laughs> like, when you could not on. settle the score? This leads to the very first WrestleMania. Okay. Piper continues to build heat for other people. Yeah. Uh, during Andre the Giant's feud with Big John Studd, uh, Piper interviewed him, setting up for their match, uh, the match between Big John Studd and Andre the Giant. Um, Andre the Giant had never been body slammed, except like I've watched videos of him get him body slammed like 15 times prior to Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. doing it at WrestleMania 3. Yeah. Matter of fact, Hulk Hogan had done it two years prior. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I mean, Harley Race had done it. There's several people. Who yeah. Done it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Piper, uh, claimed that he, so the thing was, if you can body slam Andre the Giant, you win. And if you could body slam Big John Studd, you win. 
So it was just a body slam match. Who could get that match off? Okay. And, and whoever won would win $15,000. Okay. Right. And it was a duffel bag. In 19... WWF duffel bag for full of Full of cash, yeah. So after, um, so Piper claims that he could body slam Andre the Giant, which leads to Andre the Giant picking up uh, Roddy Piper one-handedly, yeah. setting him on a table, and then just throwing him. <laughs> no. Here's, no, that's 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 something to sell. Yeah, right there. Yeah, you better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, here's the thing. Here's Piper's genius. After Andre leaves, Piper gets back on the mic, builds more heat, and he responded indignant indignantly and said, "Andre, do you want to fight? You do not throw rocks at a man who's got a machine gun." Oh, uh, holy! Wait, holy yeah. shit! The balls on that guy. Exactly. He said that to Andre the Andre fucking the giant. giant. Yep. I mean, I've seen I've seen that, you yeah. know, yeah. finger finger stabbing, florid face, yep. you know, just yeah. like yeah. transported with, with Celtic rage. Right. You know from a Canadian. From a Canadian well, but in fairness, you yeah. know, Scott's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean I've I've seen that clip yep. I don't know how many times. Yeah. I didn't ever realize that the the the, the intended target of that that vitriol could not be missed could well one <laughs> could not be missed two could probably get hit by a 30 cal and look at it and go oh whatever kind of tickles kind boss. of yeah that's that 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 stings boss yeah. and then just like wreck you yeah you i know? mean we're talking about a man who had drank 117 <laughs> beers in one sitting yes yeah because that's how many he needed to yes so yeah. now we all know how Jesus. WrestleMania went. Um, and from there, Piper stayed very relevant and near the top of the card. And one of the main reasons for this is because he never cleanly lost to Hulk Hogan. Or, frankly, anyone for that matter. And another reason was because of Piper's pit. He could talk people into the buildings. So after another year of antagonizing the faces of the company, he turns on Paul Orndorff, blames him for the loss, and uh, he then attacks the Haiti Kid. Now, I'm going to use a term now that still applies to wrestlers, but little people, they're little people who are wrestlers. They were called midget wrestlers. Yeah, right? okay. Fair but uh, Haiti Kid was just one such individual. Okay. Um, you can guess what color he was being called the Haiti Kid. Yeah. Okay. So now. <laughs> and in, so this is 84? This is 86. Now. 86. Okay. Now, keep in mind, in WrestleMania 1, Hulk Hogan was on a tag team against Rowdy Piper. And Paul Orndorff with, uh, oh, not Outlaw Ron Bass, Cowboy Bob Orton, Randy okay. Orton's dad. Um, but uh, he was against those two. Uh, you know who Hulk Hogan's tag team partner was? No, I don't remember. Oh, he uh, and Dave Grohl have something in common. Dave Grohl will fight them. This man will pity them. Oh, Mr. T. Yes. Right. So Roddy Piper goes and oh, ups, uh, and basically no. abducts the Haiti kid from the ring during a match of little people, drags him over to Piper's pit, and asks the Haiti kid if he's friends with Mr. T. He says, yes. He's like, well, then you're going to look like him. And he shaves his head into a mohawk so that he can look like him. Half of Roddy Piper's heat was being racist. At least half. Like, the shit that he did in L.A. against the Guerrero family, sombreros, ponches... It was a very different time, and it was cheap ass heat, but it worked really well. To and and he would get his ass kicked after. Wow. Yeah. So he shaved him to look like Mr. T because at WrestleMania two, 
by the way, Mr. T was was starring in the A Team at the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Roddy B. A. Piper, Baracus, yeah, yeah. Roddy Piper went to the set to antagonize him. They had a film crew; it was all planned. But... Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yes, kayfabe, but uh-huh. also of all the people, like, like, I, I just keep thinking my admiration for for Roddy Piper's physical courage. Yeah. Just yeah. continues to expand as you say this, because speaking of other people, I would uh-huh. not want to be antag like even fake antagonizing. Right, Mr. T is pretty close to the top of that list. Now here's the thing, though, because Mr. T is at least thirty pounds lighter than Roddy Piper. Really, T's only about two twenty at this time. Roddy Piper was about two thirty eight, two forty. Really? Yeah, and Piper okay. gets up to about the two fifties okay. when he's at his peak. I think of wrestling. Okay. But, yeah, the, remember, all the wrestlers, they look relatively small compared to each other, but they well, are Compared enormous. to ordinary, but they're space marines compared to normal yes. human beings. Yeah, okay. This is true. All right. Good so point. So, he turns on Paul Orndorff. He shaves the Haiti kid. Uh, all of this to get ready for his <laughs> boxing match against Mr. T at WrestleMania 2. Now, in the boxing match... Roddy Piper was like, I got to protect the business. I can't lose to Mr. T. And he kind of goes into business for himself. And there's some question out. Roddy Piper is not a reliable narrator by any stretch. Yeah. But he Nobody does... in wrestling is a reliable... I, like, it's very there's, true. There's, I mean, none very, of, very none, true. Like, all of these people have their own... They're all carnies. Well, yeah. <laughs> They're all carnies. <laughs> it's the best way to put it, yeah. But, you know, they, they all have they all have their own their own egos to do on top of everything else. Yeah, because if you, you know, can't sell your ego, what do you... What do you got? Yeah. yeah. So uh, he, he goes into business for himself, kind of. Starts okay, yeah, an actual... Yeah. Like, it's clear that T is a little confused by what's going on and then starts defending himself. It's a okay. messy match. Roddy yeah. Piper's like, that's kind of the point. So he continues Piper's pit beyond WrestleMania 2. Now, from April of 86 to June of 86, he takes a leave of absence. I think it was to heal something up. Okay. When he returned officially in August, he did so as a face. He'd been gone long enough. People respected him. And okay. And now he's, he's gone away and he's come back. Okay. Now, at this point, a few other heels took over hosting their own TV segments. There were several heels hosting their own TV segments. For a little bit, Magnificent Don later known as The Rock Morocco. He was the original Rock. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Magnificent Don Morocco hosted something called The Body Shop. And he also did a series of skits called Fuji Vice. Wow. With Mr. Fuji. Gee, <laughs> It was a different time. It was a beautiful time. <laughs> Just the extent to which this shit is so cornball. Oh my god! Like, oh, you should like, have seen like, like the, you, the you Polish could... wedding uh, party that they had for Ivan Putski and the food fight that it turned into and the polka ing that was happening. Oh, it was great! And don't get me started on the Slammy Awards, wherein <laughs> Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the King Harley Race fought during the entire thing, and they went into like catering, and there was a giant fish there, and one of them smashed the other over the head with it. And it they actually did a fish slap. Oh yeah, they did a fish slap. Oh, oh yeah. And and oh my god. Yeah, let's leave aside also the Vince McMahon stand back performance, where he sang "Stand Back," and all the wrestlers were. Yeah, I'll show you that. Oh uh, my god. Episodes. Okay. Yeah. Good so, God Almighty. There was another okay. guy. There's another guy who hosted his own talk show named Adrian Adonis. 
Um, and Adrian Adonis had given up his leather jacket. It was a signature leather jacket. And he gave it to Roddy Piper. Ooh. And Roddy okay. Piper starts wearing a leather jacket. And so it's like, oh, you're a heel. I'm a heel. Here you go. And Adrian Adonis started wearing leg warmers, faded pink tights, dyeing his hair blonde, wearing eyeshadow, rouge, dresses, moo-moos, a sunflower hat. And he was the host of the flower shop. I don't think you can get very much more homosexual panic than that. No, you really can't. Like, like friends didn't get gay panic as no, that. No, they didn't. That's... They were subtle compared to this. <laughs> wow. Adrian, yeah. Ooh. And Piper came back. And by the way, later in Piper's career, yeah, he ends up having kind of the same storyline with Gold Dust, with a different take. Okay, but it's still the same gay panic. Okay, again. Most of Piper's career is getting really, <laughs> really shitty heat really well. Okay. Um, Piper comes back, and he delivers a notice that Piper's pit would be back and that the flower shop would not be. He also wrestles as Hulk Hogan's tag team partner in Toronto. And a couple weeks later, during Piper's pit, Adrian Adonis and his manager at the time, Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart, interrupted Piper's pit accompanied by Cowboy Bob Orton, or Cowboy Bob Orton, a longtime ally of uh, Roddy Piper's, who now was wearing a pink cowboy hat. It, okay. It spreads. Really? Yeah. And Re- they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Jesus. And they came on to challenge Piper to a showdown, the flower shop versus the Piper's pit. Okay. At the end of September 1986, this airs, and it's a 10-minute back and forth from both sets, which are literally right next to each other. Adrian Adonis was a master at being a heel. He acted flustered. He gave Piper a perfect foil because Piper was very, very quick. Yeah. And Adonis would just react and react and react. and be So, so uh, quote, uh, uh, this is Piper. I am doing this for one reason. I'm not trying to be the nicest guy in the world. I think that you looking like that for my sport is absolutely silly. So he's not calling him a gay, but he's, you know, pointing out something that's demonstrably true. You look ridiculous, but it's very coded. He said, quote, I don't want my children watching this idiot. Now he's... Oh... He, he's doing the Anita Bryant thing. Yeah. Um, he's hitting that homophobia button real hard. And, of course, by the end of the segment, Cowboy Bob Orton, Don Morocco, and Adrian Adonis all attack Piper with a flower pot. Okay. Destroy his set. They they misused a chair. Back then, they didn't know how to hit people with chairs exactly. Oh, and they put makeup all over Rowdy Piper's face. And they shoved a flower down his mouth. Oh, that's, that's, that's coded as hell. Yeah. Now the whole time, the crowd chanting, Roddy, Roddy, Roddy. Okay. Because they want to make his comeback. Now this feud continues violently and bloodily and with plenty of injury angles uh, to go with it. Piper's knee had been the target of the assault with the uh, chair. And so he was on a crutch, which then he used to threaten folks who tried to stop him from wrestling. So he'd come down with the crutch and be like, nice. you can't wrestle. And he'd like swing it at them. And then he'd, you know. Yeah. He also shattered Adonis's elbow, kayfabe, in revenge. So now Adrian Adonis is in an arm sling. 
Now, okay. there's, there's a ton of mocking and interfering and heater feuds that happen okay. until he hosts Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant on Piper's Pit in January of 1987, which, of course, sets up Andre's heel turn uh, and the match at WrestleMania okay. three. So he, he has, he has um, Hulk Hogan on and he gives him this giant award for being champion for like four years at this point or three years at this point yeah four years at this point uh 84 85 86 87 yeah four years at this point um and uh andre gets a uh andre first gets a trophy and it's pretty big you know and it's for being undefeated for 15 years he hadn't been undefeated for 15 years but it's wrestling yeah um and then hogan gets an even bigger trophy and it just kind of sets up that jealousy and, and stuff like that so that, that gets their feud going, and, and eventually you see what happens. Now, the Piper-Adonis feud continues to heat up throughout the winter, and in March of 87, Roddy Piper gives his final Piper's Pit, which was a really emotional appeal to the fans. And it was a really good promo, and it didn't really do much to promote anything except for the fact that he was going to retire. Oh, okay. Now, the match at WrestleMania between Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis would be Rowdy Roddy Piper's retirement match. This is WrestleMania three in Detroit. Uh, it was a hair versus hair match. Okay. This ends up launching the the next phase of Brutus Beefcake's career because he becomes known as Brutus the Barber. Oh, uh, okay. Because Brutus Beefcake had been turned on by his teammate, uh, by his, by his stable essentially, which was Jimmy Hart. Oh wow! And uh, Greg Valentine and Dino Bravo. Basically, he screwed up. They abandoned him. You know, okay, all right. Give him the uh, the one leg, the one arm salute. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so he comes back to get back at Jimmy Hart by interfering with Roddy Piper's match against Jimmy Hart's other guy, Adrian Adonis. Oh, okay, okay. But Piper was entering into the next phase of his career too. He wanted to become an actor, right? And that's really what this episode is about. They Live? They Live is a Marxist polemic no matter what the anti-Semites say. Okay. So, after WrestleMania three, he okay. goes and films his first movie. Hell Comes to Frogtown. Oh, that was first, wasn't it? In which Rowdy Roddy Piper plays a character named Sam Hell, a nomad who got captured by an organization of warrior nurses the closest thing to a government in his region of the world, uh, who reveal that they located him by tracking the trail of pregnant women left in his wake. <laughs> it was that kind of movie. Their original, really plan, was. their original plan was to use him as breeding stock with their collection of fertile women. But, but this was the group that captured, uh, the, the group captured by the mutants. Right. And with their own attempts to capture the women failing, the group presses Sam Hell into service as a mercenary. And he has to infiltrate the mutant amphibious city, Frogtown, and steal the women back. It's 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 an intensely 80s post-apocalyptic schlock film. Oh, and schlong film, because Sam Hell is first forced to wear an electronic protective codpiece that'll explode if he dis- disobeys or tries to abort his mission. And since they already had numerous samples of his reproductive material, he was far more expendable than the women themselves. Wow. To aid him in his mission and make sure that he follows the plan, he's paired up with one of the nurses, Spangle, uh, played by Sandal Bergman. 
Really? Uh-huh. Wow. And an okay. Aggr- yeah, and an aggressive guard named Sen- uh, Sentinella. Okay. Eventually, he and Sparkle fall in love, and when they reach Frogtown, everyone involved in the rescue is captured. The Frogs' second in command is a guy named Bull, because of uh-huh. course, uh, who tortures who tortures Sam Hell and attempts to remove the codpiece for its technology. Meanwhile, a slightly drugged Spangle is forced to work as a slave and dance for the Frogs' commander, Toti or Toti. Nice. Who was being dealt weapons by the father of one of the women that Sam Hell had slept with, played by. William Smith, Conan's dad. Oh, shit, really? Named Count Sodom. (laughs) Spangle has to dance for him uh, in the uh, notable, quote, Dance of the Three Snakes sequence. Soon Spangle finds finds herself at the mercy of the aroused commander, and however, with the codpiece now removed, Bull finally removed it with a chainsaw, but it then blew up and killed him. Uh, the escaped Sam Hell rescues her along with a group of fertile women. A really fun fact about this movie is that the composer, David Shapiro, is the father of the gish-galloping debate team from Junior High Hero in his own mind, Ben Shapiro. Bullshit. <laughs> Dead serious. <laughs> I don't know how that could be any more poetically appropriate. <laughs> right? Like, okay. So Sam Sam Hell has obviously found true love, but he also has to come to grips with the fact that for the good of the world, he'll have to impregnate a lot of different women uh, besides his new love, Spangle, whose job it was to ensure that he did exactly that. But that's not really the main movie I'm here to talk to you about today. Yeah. Um, The main movie I do want to talk to you about is a product of John Carpenter meeting Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 3 and deciding to cast him in They Live. Now, before we do, I'm going to pause it so that you can watch... The, the the trailer to Hell Comes to Frogtown. Okay, now we're back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so my level of respect for Sandel Bergman mm-hmm. as an actress has has increased by by an exponential amount. Uh-huh. Because we're gonna get him out and you're gonna get him all pregnant. <laughs> Delivered without without so much as a twinkle in her eye. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, no. I need this paycheck. I am, I am committed. <laughs> I am 100% committed to the reality in which mm-hmm. I am performing. Wow. She is a professional. She, she is. It really was a different era. <laughs> you know, the, the other thing that struck me watching that was, was the remarkably good uh animatronic like like oh, the frogs. Uh, the, the yeah yeah the the practical effects yeah on all the on all the frogs it's actually like i i have i have walked past that movie and i'm gonna date myself here by saying this but i, I walked past that movie so many times in the video stores mm. you know and i'd always look at it and be like no and just keep <laughs> and just and just keep walking because you know uh, I just look too stupid for words. Um, and, 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 you know, looking at the cover of it, I was like, oh yeah, no, the effect on this are going to have to be just no garbage. But that actually, the production values on that are remarkably high. Yeah. Especially like, for that time. Yeah. Yep. 
like there there was real money and real serious effort put into that stinker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now, <laughs> oddly enough, now I'm looking at it like you know I what? Watch that. I kind of actually want to watch that. Like I don't. But I do. Right. No, I, I understand yeah. completely. That's that's a moth to a flame kind of kind of yeah, you like know. like train wreck. Mm-hmm. Like like I, I have to look, but I, I kinda don't want to, but I, I, I must. All right. So so that that was his big screen debut. Yeah. Yeah. Um unfortunately I cannot find it on any streaming services. So, that's that's probably for the best. Yeah, Geek Timers, if you can, uh Hell Comes to Frogtown, let us know. Anyway, I'm sure it's got to be somewhere on YouTube, like buried well, I bet someplace you the whole on thing the internet. Is, yeah, yeah, with like you know, like uh, I don't know, Tibetan subtitles. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. So uh, now they live back to they live. Yes. So he meets Roddy Piper at WrestleMania three. Right. Uh, that he being John Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, they live is described as a scathing indictment of capitalism and Reagan's economic policies through the 1980s. Okay. And it is that. And later, I'll also talk about the attempted co-opting by rightist dipshits uh, and how wrong they were. Okay. But really, it's they live as more than just an indictment of the Reagan era. It's a Marxist polemic against Reaganism. It is a decide. It's not just Reaganism's wrong. It is a Marxist take on why Reaganism is wrong. Okay. And it's a proffering forth of what Marx said needed to happen in order to create a worker's paradise. They live is a movie. Uh, uh, form it's, it's it's a movie form using the lens of historical materialism through which piper's character john nada nada is yeah. spanish for nothing, nothing. before yeah. he could be any of us and through john nada the audience is better able to understand class relations and social conflict as well as provide a clear dialectical perspective to view the need for social transformation via working classes awakening from their opiate-induced apathy to rise up against the capitalists and overturn the system in favor of communism. Okay. Yes. Piper's character, John Nada, uh, who is only referenced by name in the credits... Oh, yeah, that's true. He is our, which, again, strengthens the this is all of us. Mm -hmm. He is our vessel through this movie. He is, and look at the symbolism here, he is an out-of-work laborer, and you're going to like this, who has his own tools. Oh. He says that. Yeah. He's also got a name that is, you know, a a carbon copy name that literally means nothing, as in he's not special. Any of us could be him. He also doesn't even have a first name. Like, he's in the credits just listed as Nada. Later on, it was ascribed to him that his name was John, John Nada by, you know, later talks. Okay. Uh, Carpenter basically said that and there's an extensive backstory to the character um, and there's a little bit in the writing as well but largely it's the Roddy Piper element Carpenter basically asked Roddy Piper to come up with a full backstory for this character but not to share it with anyone ever okay this keeps Nada as an everyman he could be any of us which is a very Marxist proletariat choice to make Okay. Now, anyway, John Nada, or Nada, shows up to town, specifically Los Angeles, as an out-of-work drifter. And he walks across the train tracks. We see a train go by. This is a nod to industry. And it's a chance to show that he came from literally the wrong side of the tracks. 
Well, it's also uh, stepping over the threshold in the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, it, it, incidentally, it is really fun to listen to the John Carpenter and Roddy Piper commentary. Oh, I'm sure. Holy shit, it's good. <laughs> now, what's great about it is that Piper points out that John Carpenter hired the homeless folks for the day and made sure to feed and pay them. So all the homeless people you see in that homeless camp are actual homeless people. And he doesn't just give them free food. He pays them for their work. Nice. So you find that out in the, in the, in the commentary. Very the cool. Anyway, the first dialogue that you see is where John Nada is, or Nada, is talking with the unemployment office. Okay. So he knows where to go to try to find work. He shows up looking for work. Okay, yeah. He says that he worked in Denver. Center of the city, of the country. Okay. You know, kind of yeah. uh, in every place. Everybody can kind of, it's, it's kind of like how um, Red Dawn took place in the middle of the country. Yeah. You know? So I'm from the middle of the country, right? It's nice every town. Um, he says he worked there for 10 years and then things just dried up. Now, this is 1987. Yeah. So, uh, or 86 is when it's filmed. Um, the social worker is thoroughly unimpressed. She's a bureaucrat who's probably heard it a hundred times. This really had the vibe of, um, that episode of DS9 that we watched. Yeah. Um, and she lets him know that there's nothing for him in LA right now, uh, either. And so he is a worker who cannot get work. Okay. And then we see him walk past a street preacher who is speaking of some group of folks who have all the power, who have, quote, taken the hearts and minds of our leaders. They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They have blinded us to the truth. Why do we worship greed? Because outside the limits of our sight, they're feeding off us, perched on the top of us from birth to death, our owners, our owners. They have us. They control us. They are our masters. That's yeah okay yeah pretty uh pretty clearly das mm-hmm. Kapital yeah exactly kind of kind of language going and on and he there. sees clearly what's going on yeah the street preacher while he's preaching did I mention that he's blind by the way yeah uh, because and because because obviously yeah. yes and while he's preaching the police show up the agents of the state yes and then we count to uh, we cut to a TV um through somebody's window I think it is. And it's a, a clip of Mount Rushmore and a bald eagle. And then we cut back to John Nada's homeless existence. Okay. So the next morning, he goes looking for work. He talks to the foreman and tells him, I got my own tools. And he's very polite the whole time. The foreman says, well, this is a union job. So Nada specifically says, can I please speak with the shop steward? Which he knows how this works. He is a worker yeah. who knows how it works, and he's pro-union. He's not like, oh, I'll just work under the table. He's like, well, I'd like to talk to the shop steward then. Okay, yeah. So the guy running the job is like, well, it's a union job, so you wouldn't. He's like, well, then I'd like to be part of the union. Yeah. I am a worker. And we then see him working, and we're introduced to who's going to be his friend in the movie, Frank Armitage. Okay. Um, played by Keith David. Yeah. Uh, who I always mix up with David Keith, even though they look nothing alike. <laughs> <laughs> because you and names. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It is hard being me. I, I got to tell you, George. It's just... <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well done. But uh, here in this scene, by the way, you see what I'm talking about with the wrestlers. Like, Roddy Piper is a small wrestler for wrestlers in the yeah. 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at him in this movie, and he's a fucking tree. 
Oh yeah, no, he's, he's enormous. He's an ogre. Yeah, yeah, and he is yeah. cut. I mean, he is he is what you expect a half orc to look like. Yeah, with a little bit more hair. Um. Anyway, uh, here's the interesting thing about Keith David's character, uh, Frank Armitage, is the same name as the pseudonym for the screenplay writer, whose real name was John Carpenter. Yeah. Armitage was because John Carpenter didn't want to claim sole credit for something that his future wife and Roddy Piper had collaborated so thoroughly on. Uh, okay. All right. So he lifted the name Armitage from the Dunwich Horror, a story by H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. That Lovecraft, who regularly had characters driven mad by discovering hidden truths and horrors. And who was also like... So racist. True. So, so incredibly, very like, yeah. But that wasn't but why okay. Carpenter yeah, yeah, yeah. Was going no, no, I know. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. I know. I just, you know. Now, this is only a thematic draw for Carpenter, as the opening credits tell us. The screenplay is actually based upon a short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson. Oh. Ray okay. Nelson. Uh, I read the story, actually. It's only like eight pages long. So oh, okay. I have now increased the amount of fiction that I've read that's not Star Wars books by like 35%. <laughs> Um, I understand I'm broken. Uh, so Ray Nelson, uh, is the creator of the propeller beanie hat. Yeah. Yeah. Which he had invented as a 10th grader in Michigan while being an active member of early sci-fi fandom. Nelson, Nelson had then gone to the university of Chicago to study theology and then in Paris to study more where he seems to have met almost every luminary in the middle of the 20th century. All right. He met Jean-Paul Sartre, Boris Vian and Simone de Beauvier, as well as Allen Ginsberg, uh, Gregory Corso, William Burroughs. Wow. Also Michael John Moorcock, which I love the name. Um, but, uh, this is a guy who was smuggling Henry Miller books out of France, which had been banned due to pornography and obscenity laws. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this guy is just at the locus of all, all kinds of kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So he starts, Ray Nelson, uh, starts, uh, doing cartooning and writing for fanzines. And in 1963, he published eight o'clock in the morning, November of 1963. Okay. Just a weird coincidence, actually. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the JFK assassination. Yeah. But, but you can't mention shit happening in November, November 63. 63 without yeah. bringing that up. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a five-page story, but everything that was in that story is is put onto the screen in Carpenter's movie. And the character's name is George in the story, but beat for beat, this whole thing is the same. So in 1986, Ray mm. Nelson and Bill Ray collaborated to bring the comic Nada... Uh, to the pages of another anthology called Alien Encounters. So now okay. it's a comic book as well. Okay. Two years later, 88, Carpenter picks it up as a movie. So now back to Frank Armitage. Uh, yeah. Frank, uh, Ronnie Piper's new friend, um, a fellow worker, a, yeah. a black fellow, um, he takes Roddy, or he takes Nada to find shelter, uh, and this place is called Justiceville where there's food, and it's a homeless camp. Okay. This is what Marx called the lumpenproletariat. Lumpenproletariat. Okay. This is a specific subdivision of the proletariat um, that would play no part in the eventual social revolution. Kind of because they've been kicked oh. down so long, so oh, far okay. that they've been rendered impotent. 
Um, this is the kind of place that, frankly, inspired the writers of that DS9 episode with the Gabriel mm-hmm. Bell riots, right? And Frank introduces Nada to a guy named Gilbert who's fixing a chair. So he introduces him to another man who's fixing something for somebody. Okay. Yeah. All workers. Gilbert immediately seeks to put Nada to work helping others with his own tools. Okay. Now, over a camp dinner, Frank shares that he has a wife and kid in Detroit or kids in Detroit. Now, if ever there's a city that showed America's declining safety net, which John Carpenter was specifically calling attention to through his critique of Reaganism, it was Detroit in the late 80s. Yeah. And he goes on. He says, quote, haven't seen them in six months. Steel mills were laying people off left and right. They finally went under. We gave the steel companies a break when they needed it. Know what they gave themselves? Raises. The golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. They close one more factory. We should take a sledge to one of their fancy fucking foreign cards. There you go. There is so much in there. There is so much workers, proletariat, factories, management, unions. We gave the factories a break. All this stuff. It reminds me of what you talked about when we were talking about um, the Yellow Peril with uh, Battletech. Yeah. The relationship between unions and businesses in Japan compared to over Compared to, yeah. And well, and and you know the other thing that's kind of uh, depressing mm-hmm. to think about here is these are the like almost word for word. This is the kind of stuff you you hear on Twitter mm-hmm. nowadays from people talking about you know uh, the the proportion of salary between you know a worker on the line and the CEO of the corporation, mm-hmm. and you know CEO of a corporation uh, you know fails and gets kicked out, they get, you know, picked up somewhere six, else. Well, they get, yeah. they get, they get millions of dollars in severance. Yeah. You know, a, a, a worker screws up, they get kicked out on the street. And if they're lucky, they're going to get, you know, unemployment benefits. Right. It's, and it's Cobra. Yeah. Like, they won't even get, you know, benefits extended. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's, 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 and, and if anything, the, the disparity, Mm-hmm. we know has only gotten worse since then. That's true. That's very, very so true. So it's, you know, we, we talk about, you know, being in late stage capitalism. It's like we, we've, we're, we're like, are we in like afterward stage capitalism? Like not, 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 not the last chapter, but like, right. no, no, now, now we're getting into the reference pages. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, mean, I like <laughs> when, when, when do we, when do we get into the bibliography right. of, of capitalism? Like, like the book is over, right? but you know, but there's still numbers on the pages. It like, feels like people are still being encouraged to pull up on the stick when the plane has crashed into the mountain. Yeah, or you know? or or people are being told to you know um, sit still and stop complaining. Mm-hmm. It's it's not even pull up on the stick. It's like yeah. no no no, the pilot gets to handle the controls. Stay in your seat. Right. And and it's rude to keep screaming like right. that. And put down that fire extinguisher. Yeah, you're not. You're rated not for that. You are not rated. To, yeah, like. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and and and. And and the thing is, what's what I find as as we talk about this right now, mm-hmm. what I find interesting is there were plenty of people who were doing satire, mm-hmm. who were doing you know scathing critiques of Reaganomics mm-hmm. at the time, yeah, and they've been doing it ever since, mm-hmm. 
And, and like, I have to wonder what is it in the mindset of the political establishment Mm -hmm. that has, that, that has allowed a patently flawed idea like supply side economics Mm -hmm. to stay dominant I would say for so long. White evangelical nationalism. Well, okay. I mean, I, I know, <laughs> I know that we're, I know that we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about that soon yeah. with yeah. with a guest. But I, you know, I think there's got to be something more to it than than just. I mean, that's that is that is the tool they've used. Okay. But but I'm I'm talking about country club Republicans. I'm I'm not I'm not talking about So I would say there's a thing in wrestling. Okay. Where um if you are a certain gimmick. Yeah. You kayfabe that in in real life as well. Okay. And it gets to the point where you truly believe your own hype. Okay. So I think there's a layer of that. I think there's okay. a large thick like Mm-hmm. Pink Panther commercial, it, this is okay. interior yeah, yeah. insulation layer, that yeah, kind yeah. of thick, okay. dummy thick with three C's <laughs> layer <laughs> of uh, of of believing their own hype. Okay, you know, and yeah. and and those are the ones who are what uh, was it? Who was it that called them that? Uh, useful idiots was that lenin he said useful idiots i yeah yeah that sounds, sounds like right. a lenin kind of thing yeah because i don't think mccarthy said that um no oh, no yeah no and, and mccarthy mccarthy wasn't mccartney uh, sorry um, oh yeah and and i know that uh harrison was was much more into transcendentalism and i don't think Starr had any idea but i think lenin is the one that yeah said that. yeah Nice. So, thank you. Nice. All right. So, uh, Frank goes on and he says, quote, the whole deal is like some crazy kind of game, some kind of crazy game. Only everyone is out for themselves and looking to do you in at the same time. Now, I found a a critic of Marxism, uh, George Monbiot, M-O-N-B-I-O-T, who discussed it at length in Out of Wreckage in 2017. He's a British writer, so I don't know how to pronounce his name. Okay. Um, and he's known for his environmental and political activism, and he writes weekly for The Guardian. Uh, Monbiot, okay. I'm just going to say Monbiot, has a long history of political activism, which seems to just be in his blood. His parents were both politically active, as were some of his grandparents. Okay. And, and more to the point, George himself is an investigative journalist, and he's been all around the world, and he's now persona non grata in seven countries. Oh, wow. Yeah, as well as being sentenced to life imprisonment in absentia in Indonesia. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Beyond just the fact that how awesome would it be to be able to like say that as part of how you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? I have the death sentence on like, 12 like, systems. Like, 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 yeah. Yes, you know, I would like, like some shrimp. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, can't, I can't go back to Indonesia. Right. Because yeah. they wouldn't let me ever leave. Have you ever been to Bali? No. No, uh, I've been sentenced uh, to life imprisonment there in absentia. Yeah. Well, actually... Are those I, croutons? <laughs> have, have you ever been to Bali? Yes, I have. <laughs> I had to leave rather suddenly, yeah. and I can't ever go back. Yeah. Oh, hey, canapes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> totally. canapé. Um, 
<laughs> as as I suddenly get very uh, midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil there. But you know, like <laughs> I I I, I want to find out if we could find an excuse to have this guy as a guest because like you know you've you've yeah. you've you've heard Bishop and me making jokes or seen Bishop and me mm-hmm. making jokes about seeing that's why we can't go back to Liechtenstein, right? You know, and and being idiots about that stuff. No, this guy literally knows shit. Yeah, cannot. like and, and that's why I can't go back to Indonesia. Like, yeah. How do you? Okay. Yeah. Well, he's also been in places such as Brazil, Indonesia, of course, <laughs> yeah. East Africa, where he was shot at, beaten up by military police, shipwrecked, and my favorite, he had been stung into a poisoned coma by hornets. <laughs> what? So, uh, yeah. so I don't need, like, I, I mean, obviously I need to read some of his journalism, but yeah. I'm less interested right now at this moment. I'm less interested in his journalism than I am in just like, no, no, I need you to do a, a Hunter S. Thompson, like mm-hmm. autobiography. <laughs> I need, I, you know, uh, we, we were, you know, uh, an hour out of Barstow when the drugs took hold. I need your version of that story. Right. Like, yeah. Wow. Okay. He also was once pr- pronounced clinically dead in Lodwar General Hospital in northwestern Kenya, having contracted cerebral malaria. And that might explain why he made the decisions that led to him being stung into a poisonous coma by hornets. Yeah, exactly. well, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. So judgment might be slightly impaired after that. Yeah. Uh, also, Monbiot was attacked by security guards while on protest, who allegedly okay. drove a metal spike through his foot, smashing the middle metatarsal bone. Ooh. I knew that would get you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, it's funny that that's the one that gets me and mm-hmm. not the hornets. Right. Like, I hear the hornets and I go, ugh. Right. But the one that actually makes my gorge rise yeah. is that one. Oh. In 2008, he made an unsuccessful attempt to carry out a citizen's arrest of John Bolton while in Wales. <laughs> this guy's my fucking hero. Right? So anyway, back to the movie. Um, okay. but, but everything that he that, that yeah. Armitage says in that, in that bit sounds like Monbiot's critiques. Okay. Um, so the next scene is a wonderful juxtaposition of capitalism and its effects. The homeless are watching TV, and they're watching an ad because somebody strung up a TV, you know, to yeah, the yeah, extension yeah, yeah, cord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're watching an ad about press-on nails, and about how uh, you know I normally don't get to do anything when I've got these on, and now I get to do activities. But she's like playing tennis or some shit, um, and then the signal gets hacked, and this first twenty minutes is some of the most obvious exposition that there is and here's what uh the the signal hack says quote our impulses are being redirected we are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep and then there's a homeless guy who cuts in complaining about the signal being hacked um who later on it turns out was a sellout um and then he you know was in a tuxedo uh quote the poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own gain. 
Please understand, they are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us selfish, keep us sedated. And this leads to everyone getting headaches until the same guy changes the channel. And Nada tracks the blind street preacher at that time to the church and then heads off to work the next day. Uh, and then we cut back to the signal hack because it bounces back in. Quote, they are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. We are their cattle. We are being bred for slavery. Now, this raises Nada's suspicion as he investigates that instead of heading to work. Um, and we have the discovery scene. And we see on the wall of the church, quote, they live, we sleep. That's right. Uh, okay. Now, what's awesome about all this is that the casting is very much a mosaic ethnically. Um, so, again, it's, it's John mm -hmm. Carpenter really, really in, infusing this. Also, Booker T. Washington's picture is at the head of the church. Oh, okay, cool. So anyway, Gilbert's talking about more than just a localized movement. It sounds a lot like spreading a revolution and in uniting workers everywhere. Um, okay. Nada yeah. runs into the blind street preacher who then feels Nada's hands. And he says, eh, you're a working man. Here, it's the revolution. He qualified offering Nada the revolution doing, due to his working man status. Okay. So, oh, he feels his hands, feels his face. And then feels his hands and he's like, okay, we've got a revolution going. Now, Frank offers him advice, which is mind your own business. And Nada says, I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Uh, he actually has a very Roddy Piper-esque line. And the thing is, Roddy Piper's lines, a lot of them were Roddy Piper's lines. Yeah. Which is why Carpenter was like, I'm not taking full credit yeah. for writing this. And it was because Piper kept a book of cool quips for promos. Nice. You do not throw... Yeah, no. at a man armed with yeah. a machine gun, right? That's good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, staying in the middle of the road is the worst place to be. Oh, nice. You know, okay. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So that night, uh, Roddy Piper, Nada, uh, watches the police raid, which also destroys the homeless camp, and it's meant to seem over the top. Yeah. It isn't today. No. Like, all of this, it, it goes right back to what it, I'm, I think we need to codify our rules. Rule number one, now we, here we are in, in episode 150, uh, finally codifying the rules. Rule number one, authorial intent don't mean dick. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, rule number two, uh, I would say it's probably something along the lines of satire is dead. <laughs> or And we are fucking its corpse. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're not wrong. No, um, I, I I can't ooh. take credit for that. That's that's of course for Penny Arcade. But, okay, but Jesus. Yeah. Um, or, and I was actually or... talking about the 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 sequels to Dune. Okay, and, and you know Herbert, but but yeah. I think it still kind of applies here. Sure, uh, I would say maybe instead of uh, satire is dead, maybe something along the lines of satire never survives past its own time. Yes, I you can. Know. I can definitely agree with that. Yes, satire. Satire has a very short half life. Yes, yes. So, you know, you you get to uh, you get to see um, Ferguson. Yeah, thirty years earlier. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So, um, I think that's where I want to end it. Okay. Um, because then we get to a juxtaposition of more commercials and more about the homeless. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then we really get into the horror plot of it. So here's the setup, right? Yeah. Um, so now you know mm-hmm. a lot of what's going into it. Um, and and frankly, I, I it's just it's a bit long to to just no no of course episode, yeah yeah so, yeah yeah. But um, okay, so so far, have mm-hmm. I convinced you that they live as a Marxist polemic? So far, I I think uh, you make you're making a strong case. I mean, certainly all of the all of the metaphors mm-hmm. line up. Um, the framing mm-hmm. definitely lines up. Um, you know, and I think I think what's what's interesting, or what maybe not what's interesting, but what what occurs to me mm-hmm. is it's it's very interesting that. You know, Reaganism was this incredibly Cold War driven kind of ideology. It was, it was, you know, uh, have you ever seen the movie The President's Analyst? No. Okay. And now I'm totally forgetting the name of the actor who who plays the main character. But but the main character is a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm who winds up uh, getting, getting selected. He, he finds out in the first, in the first scene of the film, he finds mm-hmm. out that one of his, one of his patients who's been with him for nine months or something mm-hmm. is actually a CIA operative. Oh, they're sizing him up. And they've been, they've been sizing him up and it's like, okay, no, um, you, 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 you win. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to, you, oh, wow. you know, the, the president needs, needs to have somebody to talk to the president. You know, we want to make sure that he's on an even keel because he's got his thumb on the button. When did right? this come out? Uh, in the early Kennedy administration. It was before Kennedy's assassination. Oh my gosh. It's, it's heavily implied that the president in question is Kennedy. Oh, okay. If I'm remembering right. Wow. So, so anyway, he, he winds up becoming the president's analyst. And then after his first session or two with the president, mm-hmm. um, he then gets kidnapped by another one of his patients who was a KGB agent. Oh, Jesus. Who had gotten wind of the fact that, uh-huh. you know, they, they got yeah. wind of the fact that he was being groomed by the CIA. <laughs> and then and then it turns into this kind of back and forth of, mm-hmm. of uh, and, and the message they were trying to make in the film actually gets kind of delivered mm-hmm. by, the, by the KGB officer who says... You know, don't you don't you see? As time goes on, we're drifting more in your direction, and you're drifting more in our direction. Mm. You know, we're we're inevitably going. You know, right now we're 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 uh, seeing one another as these two opposite ends of of a spectrum, but we're really moving toward one another. You know, you see more and more, you know, social programs in the West, and you see us you know, doing stuff with our economy that's more and more capitalist, Okay. you know? And the reason I bring that up Mm -hmm. is because I, as an adult looking back on it, I have really gotten this strong sense that Thatcherism and Reaganism and that whole movement Mm -hmm. was a right-wing knee-jerk reaction to that idea. Super rubber banding against the welfare state. Yeah. And Nixon saying, we're all Keynesians. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, um, Nixon, for God's sake, <laughs> um, the but, man who is slightly to the left of Obama. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Goddamn Overton window. <laughs> so, but I call but, it a pit trap, but whatever. Yeah, you know? <laughs> nice. But, but 
<laughs> and that broke me. Uh, <laughs> the Overton pit trap. Yeah. Um, but you know, and and so we're we're what we're looking at mm-hmm. is is the artistic mm-hmm. slingshot back in the other direction. Okay. You know, okay. From from I'm I'm also going to point out this mm-hmm. is a Marxist polemic. Yeah. Coming from an American director. Yeah, very true. And so I I think in in the historiography of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that gets overlooked, mm-hmm. or in the historiography of communism, uh-huh. I think one of the things that gets overlooked is the one large scale, you know. Leninist experiment that anybody's ever done right was Russian and yeah. there are there are aspects of how that turned out that you can't erase the Russianness from them yeah it existed in a culture in a in that a culture was also reacting to th- its there own was there was reacting yeah. to its own Absolutely. baggage of you know having been invaded by literally fucking everybody in the world right you know and and everything you know and all of the other stuff that goes along with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so an American espousing Marxist, Leninist, whatever, you know, whichever is communist kind of ideology you're talking about is going to have a different set of, uh, resonances, cultural assumptions, cultural assumptions, uh, that, that tie into that. I see. And, and, and so the criticism, like a, a Soviet filmmaker criticizing Reaganism would hit on. Very, very, very or, or yeah. would probably hit on the same things because the targets are all very obvious, mm-hmm. but would hit on them from a different angle with a different emphasis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and with a different, yeah, with, with a different context behind it. From what I've seen of Soviet, I, I do not disagree. I'm going to just dial it in a little bit more. From what I've seen of uh, Soviet movies criticizing American ideology, behaviors, practices, and whatnot from Stalin on forward Mm -hmm. uh, is that they really hit on how goddamn racist our country is. Um, Because one of the things that um, is is very undersung is when we talk about the Great Migration, we talk about a lot of black people who were from the South out West, settled in what we know as Pasadena now, you know, and and stuff like that. Uh, And then uh, then you had a second glut of immigration or migration— um, into Richmond and Seattle, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. port towns cause world war two. Yeah. Um, but another, uh, part, another giant leg of the great migration was Chicago and New York. Yeah. Right. And you've, you've got, I mean, you've got the Harlem Renaissance and you've and also got Detroit. Yeah. You've got, you know, the, all this industry. What most people overlook is the third one, which was a fuck ton of black farmers moved to Russia. Yeah. And Russia was all too happy to have them. Because they needed the people. Yeah, because they killed off all the kulaks. Yeah. Which, <laughs> in fairness, the kulaks weren't necessarily doing right by the peasants either. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they needed, they needed farmers. And black people in Russia, I mean, there's that wonderful... Um, you know, it's 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 this wonderful uh, thing that I've listened to several times, and I forget exactly who who does the voicing. I don't think it's actually Paul Robeson himself. Mm-hmm. I think it's somebody else, but it's it's Paul Robeson going at it against a senator. And oh my god, like oh oh yeah, yeah, no, I've heard it, and it's it's um, it's scathing. It's wonderful. Well, it's yeah, no, yeah, his his 
oh, oh yeah, Robeson's words are amazing, mm-hmm. but it's... Um, is it James Earl Jones reading it? It is James Earl Jones okay, reading it, cool. yeah. Um, he I mean, does a very yeah, good job. Oh, well, of course, because yeah, it's, I mean, it's, thing. it's that baritone of his, my but, God. But it's, it's, it's really fun because it's like, wait, who's really in charge here? Oh. Because Robeson owns and eats the guy's lunch so, so easily, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and the guy being a senator. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, there is, uh, th- there was a lot of black migration to the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I think in many ways, there was an effort by Soviet cinematography to at once appeal to the folks who'd come over, but also they're getting their stories from the folks who'd come over. Yes. And so there's a lot of uh, effort to point out, like, uh, y'all talk about freedom. You've got this really shitty second-class citizenship. I mean, you yeah. even just look at the kitchen debates and, you know, Nixon finger in the chest of... of uh, Khrushchev. Thank you. Um, I was going to say Ceausescu. I'm like, no, that's no, Romania. that's Romania Me and, and later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, he and uh, we will wave bye bye. <laughs> right, but they're arguing over a woman's proper place. Yeah, that whole thing. And the Soviet Union's like, no, we respect our women. We let you know they they work. They're equals. And and Nixon's like, no, we respect our women because you know we make all these fancy tools for them to not have to work so that they can stay home. And it's like, sweetie, you are not making the points you think <laughs> you're, you're making. You don't. You don't. You're you you're not winning the way you think yeah. you're winning. Yeah, you know. And what's what's interesting is. There's a little bit, there's obviously some truth in, in Khrushchev's point there, mm-hmm. but there's also some self-serving e- eliding of some facts. Oh, absolutely. Because post-World War II, the Soviet Union did say to an awful lot of women, they didn't say it to as many women as we did as right. a percentage of their population, but they did still push women to go back home Literally and start and having fucked. babies. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we 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 don't need you to be barefoot, but we do need you pregnant. Well, okay, we need, so we need citizens. You know, in 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 there's two ways to get the thing you want. You yeah. could either subsidize the thing you want or tax the thing you don't. Yes. Right. So yes. America made it unbearable for women to be able to work still uh, through a mass media campaign aimed yeah. at guilting them into staying home. Yes. So that the men could get those jobs. Yes. In fairness, I think if you go and fight for your country, you should be able to expect a job when you come back. Yeah. And But there are other ways to get that. Exactly. You don't have to steal from Mary to pay, to pay Peter. Yeah. Um but uh the, the Russians, uh the Soviet Union, what they did was you would get a medal if you got 10 kids. That's different than get in there and, and, and well, start popping them out. And and here's here's the other thing. Like you um, can still work, but keep popping them yeah, out. Yeah, but but there's but there's there's great uh, there's there's a great level of, of recognition, I think, mm-hmm. of just exactly what a taxing thing being pregnant actually is. Mm-hmm. Like you've done this enough times, we're going to give you an award that you're going to get to wear on your chest anytime you go anyplace fancy. You spent nine years being pregnant. You spent yes, you spent nine. Actually, it's longer than that, but yeah, yeah, you spent at least nine. Yeah, you spent a minimum of nine years in a state of waiting for a human to to mm-hmm. literally come out of your body. So thank you for that. Here's a medal because you're a hero. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I would also point out that since Russia lost about 27 million people in World War II, many of which were men. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah. They didn't have the same pressing issue with, you know, Ivan comes home and needs a job because Ivan didn't come home. And we, the job still needs doing. The job still needs doing. Right. So we need, we need Ivana to right. be doing it. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so so uh, yeah. Geez, to listen to the kitchen debates, listening to Nixon's side of it, he is such a petulant little bitch. Um, because he's just because like he lost the point. It's Nixon, but he's considered a great debater. Like if yeah. you hear him go against Kennedy, he does a good job. But he lost the point. He's like, but you have to recognize also that we do, and it's like, no, no, you don't. No, yeah. you don't. Yeah, you really don't. It's kind of like, well, you didn't clean your shoes when you came in. It's like we we were we were talking about how to fold a napkin. Yeah. What you doing? You know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, okay. So uh, yeah, st- I, it sounds like I'm making the argument that it is in fact a Marxist polemic. Not oh, just very a, much. Not just a diatribe. Not just a an appeal to Marxism, but an actual polemic. Polemic. Yeah. Cool. No, definitely. Right. So what you reading that you could recommend to people? Um, what am I reading that I could recommend to people? Um. I don't have anything up in my queue right now that okay. I can that I can solidly recommend. I, I wish I could. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to be reading. Mm-hmm. But um, between working on my house and, you know, grading student work, um, I, I don't I don't mentioned. have anything. Yeah. Okay. How about you though? Well, I'm gonna recommend everybody put this in their like to buy queue. It's okay. not coming out until I believe August uh, of this year. Um, but it's called All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days, The True Story of the American Woman at the Heart of the German Resistance to Hitler by Rebecca Donner. And it's about this woman from Wisconsin who went back to Germany, became a spy, and essentially worked kind of similar to like the White Rose Society. Okay. I forget exactly what they were called. Yeah. Uh, She gets sentenced to death. Or no, she gets sentenced to forced labor for six oh, wow. years. Okay. Hitler specifically steps in and personally says, no, I want her dead. And oh. she gets guillotined. Oh, so it's, shit. It's really? about her life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So by Rebecca Donner. So, I mean, it sounds amazing. I haven't read it yet. Kind of a downer ending, but boy howdy! But like, wow. I, I read the uh, the she she put up a Twitter okay. stream, stream okay of various documents that came from it, and just you know, it's good publicist. Yeah. Um, but uh, it it was I was like, oh, I'm gonna read that. So I recommend that people uh put it on their um their August list. Okay, very cool. Uh, for reading books, so. All right. Well, where can we find you on the social medias? Uh, I can be found on the social medias at uh, E.H. Blaylock on uh, Twitter and as uh, Mr. Underscore Blaylock on TikTok and as Mr. Blaylock with no underscore on Instagram. We collectively can be found at Geek History of Time on Twitter mm-hmm. and uh, at www.geekhistoryoftime.com. Dot com there you go. Uh, on the internet and where can you be found well if anybody wants to you know come at you with this isn't this isn't Marxist this is Engelsist oh well, I don't know if Engelsism I don't know if Engelsism is actually a thing but 
you know, yeah. if, if anybody wants to, you know, Anglicism. Uh, there. Oh, nice. Anglicism. Nice. Nice. If anybody wants to come after your sure. uh, dialectic materialism, what? Uh, where would they find you? Well, I've put milkshakes out in the yard. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you can find me at Duh Harmony on Twitter or Instagram. You could also find me at Duh Harmony One, I think, on the TikTok, where I am oh, telling yeah. some some masterful jokes. Uh, so no, no, he, he's not. He's telling some beautiful. terrible, terrible, horrible puns, and he has hashtagged all of them. By the way, if you want to look for him on TikTok, all you got to do is is look for the hashtag How I Torture Ed. Yes. So. Oh. Because fuck you. <laughs> it's all to boost up this show. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. So well, you know. anyway, so that's that's where you can find me. Uh, so for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, the workers should own their tools.